We are in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 as we pick up. It's been a few weeks since we've been here. and I've been here, you've probably been here faithfully. But let me run through a few odds and ends just to get started. We're at the end of the summer. Name a national holiday celebrated during the summer. Fourth of July, any others? Memorial weekend, okay, any others? Labor Day, anything else? Oh, hey, there you go, your wedding anniversary, okay, isn't that a national holiday? Father's Day, Canada Day, none of you said Canada Day, it didn't, did impact us. Fourth of July, here's one, name a color associated with summer. Yellow will be there. I think green should be there. Here's what they had, here's the survey, because I don't follow all these color things. Red, green, orange, pink. And blue, and the top one was going to be yellow, yellow. Okay, name a popular summer drink that is refreshing. Iced tea is going to be there. Water should be there. Coffee? Coffee? You you drink coffee and then worship the Lord with the same mouth? Now remember, this is a survey that doesn't include saved people only. Okay, so this could have other things that you may not drink. Beer is going to be up there. Okay, here we go. Soda or pop, water, beer, iced tea. Number one was lemonade. Here you go. I don't care if you drink coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you don't care if I don't, right? <laughs> Name something you might take with you camping. Your wife? Yeah, that would be a good thing. I thought about this. Probably other people should be up there. What do you have? Tent, food, okay, probably sleeping bag, things like that. A grill. How many take your whole grill with you there? Here we go. Food, marshmallows, flashlight, bug spray, sleeping bags. Number one was a tent or a camper. Okay, my type of camping is in the hotel. Uh, Name something people like to do outdoors during the summer. Picnic, swim. Fish? Yeah, you do. (laughs) Summer, winter, spring, or fall, right? Yeah, there you go. All seasons, all year. Here's what they said. Go to parks, sit in the sun while reading, work in the garden, swim, picnic, eat outdoors, play yard games, yard work, or mow. You like to do that? Some find it refreshing. Barbecue at number one, go for walks. Name something people do on a cruise. Eat, eat. Eat, 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 eat. Should we all swim, sleep? Okay, you go. What's that? Grow, throw up. I just said grow up, and I knew that wasn't right. So throw up would be would fit there. Probably this weekend with the hurricane going on, right? Here we go. Get seasick. There you go, Bob. (laughs) Sleep a lot. Visit. Read. Sightsee. See shows. Swim. Sunbathe. The number one. Eat lots. Well, a couple more here. What might ruin a nice summer family picnic? Rain, ants. I, I, Pooch, what did you say? Did you all hear what he said? It's up there. Food spoils, bugs, ants, some obnoxious relative. There you go. Pooch, you got it. You got it right there. Too hot, and number one was bad weather. Name a famous Daniel. Daniel Boone. Daniel in the Bible, we're going to put up there, obviously. That's our transition. 
Any other? Daniel Webster, somebody said? Any other famous Daniels? Defoe? Okay. Here's what we got. Daniel the Bible, none of them would say it. Okay. Um, Reno Webster, Radcliffe, Day-Lewis, DeVito, Craig, and Daniel Boone was number one. We're in Daniel chapter 6. We'll do the one that nobody else knows about here in their Hollywood survey. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, if you've been following along, this book is a really, really, really interesting book. And what we're doing is we're talking about, and primarily the first half of the book, of the personal history of Daniel and what has happened in his life. And so what happened is Daniel was a teenager taken to a region that's that uh, of invaders called the Babylonians. They came in, took him, after three different attacks on the city of Jerusalem, they finally destroyed Jerusalem. But Daniel was one of the uh, few Jewish boys taken in the very first attack. And uh, Daniel ends up, the full 70 years, going to be living there in Babylon during that time period. Now in chapter 1, it gives some of the history about how when he first got there and they wanted to eat certain foods and how he resisted by following the dietary laws and God blessed him. And then we have the second story, how God used him to be able to reveal the story of what's going to happen in that central part of the world, there where they were living as far as the historical drama that was going to unfold and what major, major empires were going to be taking place. And again, Daniel was given, above all the other sages, wise men, whatever you want to call them, Daniel was given the wisdom. Daniel chapter 3 comes to the story of Daniel's friends so that if the Jewish people were say, well, that's Daniel. Daniel is the only one that can be blessed of God in the middle of the captivity. The story expands how God blesses faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and uses them to uh, give a testimony to the lost world and to all those who were uh, pagan worshipers because they were supposed to bow down, worship this idol. They refused, cast into the fiery furnace, and they survive uh, without any kind of blemish or any kind of problems whatsoever. Then chapter 4 shows how God is even in control of the pagan king who is in control of the Jewish captives. And that God can exalt or take and abase that individual and God abase the individual who was the world's most powerful person at that time in that history that he was all of a sudden converted into losing his mind for seven years and went through that period of, of being like a mad animal. And then he's restored. And when he's restored... Because he's, he's come to a point where it's fulfilled and he recognizes God Almighty is almighty. Then, he's re, then he comes back to his senses and he makes some tremendous proclamations for a Gentile at that time about Jehovah God. Chapter 5 continues the story. And even though it's out of order chronologically, it's the historical story. It actually, it actually uh, chapter 7 and 8 precede the, chronologically the events, but in the first six chapters we're reading the story in chronological order. The prophecies will plug back in later. And so there's the handwriting on the wall that what happens is there's uh, the Babylonians are under attack by an upstart kingdom called the Medo-Persians. They are outside the city gate. The Babylonians are having this wild orgy type party and there's writing on the wall and Daniel's the only one though he's been put out to pasture as an old man. He's the only one that is able to interpret it. So under the advice of the queen mother, the king brings Daniel back and Daniel tells him, you're going to be destroyed this evening. God has uh, brought judgment because part of that party included taking the temple vessels the golden vessels, and using that as part of their party. And so God allows the Medo-Persians to come in that night, destroy and kill even Belshazzar, the new king of Babylon. And then we come into chapter 6, 
And chapter 6 continues the story. In chapter 6, we have now Daniel, who is there, and it says, It pleased Darius, or Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now remember, between chapter 5 and 6, we have, we have changes taking place. New ruler, chapter 6. Darius, or Darius, is the leader of the Medo-Persians. So we have a new administration that is taking place. And Daniel, who was put out to pasture by the Babylonians in chapter 5, but brought back for just a few hours to give sage advice, he is now elevated in chapter 6 under the new kingdom, the new rule, which is interesting. And it says that over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first, the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Daniel was preferred above the president's princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So what you have going here is several different factors that, that are historically accurate. Uh, that are taking place with that new kingdom. And Daniel is set up basically in charge of overseeing the 120 subordinates who oversee the rest of the kingdom. And so in this hierarchy, Daniel is basically second in control now and restored to a place of political prestige and power. Now a question comes to my mind is, why would he be elevated this way? If you were the new king and you've come in, you've never met Daniel before. To, the, to our knowledge, there's no in, indication. Why would you elevate Daniel? What testimony? How, where would they have heard that from, though? The Medo-Persians are outside. Could they have heard the news? Could, could there have been, could there have been um, knowledge of the inner workings of the Babylonian Empire already? Okay, what's that? Okay, his reputation could have been spread outside. That, that's possible, right? Do governments today know what's going on in government leadership? Yes, no? Yeah, so there's no reason not. Then when they come in and take over, could they be hearing about Daniel already from the Babylonians? The people that they're working with, they're trying to establish or take control. So you have several things, okay? Um, they, may, they may have heard in that very evening, they may have heard of Daniel's interpretation. Now, if you were the Medo-Persians coming in and you heard that this guy right here had said the night before, you're going to win the battle and the Babylonians are going to be destroyed and the king's going to be destroyed, would you show favor to the guy who gave a favorable prediction? What's that? Yeah, yeah. If the, if the word came, he, they would be interested in him. Okay, there's other possibilities, okay, that they heard about the spirit of the gods in him. Remember, Daniel's, the, the queen mother had said this. The king had said this. So walking in, like you said, if they had heard, they would have heard that this Daniel is a spirit of the gods is in him. Remember, you're dealing with superstitious people. When we think of the spirit of the gods, who are we thinking of? Okay, the Holy Spirit, Jehovah God. If they were, if they were superstitious people, they, they could recognize the spirit of the gods, but they wouldn't know who those gods were. But they could recognize the idea that he is unique. He's got some spiritual um, 
you know, pizzazz around him. Daniel was preferred, and there's, it's an interesting word, okay? Our King James says Daniel's preferred. But in the, and it gives the idea that Daniel was looked upon from the outside and seen as, oh, you're, you know, we prefer you. Really, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. In the Hebrew, it, oops, I want to go, just say what it said. In the Hebrew, it says that Daniel distinguished himself, it's not a passive idea that somebody saw it. The idea is that as Daniel's conducting himself, even in this short period, Daniel himself elevated himself above everybody else by the way he conducted himself. And so that's what the idea is he was preferred is Daniel elevated himself in his conduct and his input. And again, it says that he has an excellent spirit. This has been mentioned about him before. Now, there's more to the story that unfolds in the next few verses. In the next few verses, what happens is Daniel's fellow officers, the 120 that he's overseeing, they don't like him. Okay, they don't, they don't care for him. They are going to not care for him so much that how... how um, how great is their angst towards him? What do they want to do with Daniel? They want to kill him. Okay, The whole story revolves around the idea that they use political intrigue to get a law passed that would result in Daniel's execution. The law is totally designed with one person in mind to get rid of. That is Daniel. My question to you is, why do they hate him so much? Why would they be jealous? Okay, so if it's Medo-Persians that are being elevated, Daniel's not a Medo-Persian. Okay, think, this, think through. Okay, their jealousy could be in the fact that he's not Medo-Persian. Anything else in jealousy? Okay, okay, that, it's just common nature that people want to be close to power. Okay, and so Daniel's, Daniel's holding them from power, is he not? Because they are what to him? They're subordinate, they're accountable to Daniel. Okay, so you have this, the, the, you have multiple thoughts here that, are very, that, are, that set the story. They're accountable to Daniel. Isn't it human nature we don't necessarily like the people that we're accountable to? Because we want a little bit more of that freedom. Um, Daniel, by, by the way, in politics, and it's not in all politics, but power, absolute power, it, 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 it corrupts absolutely, right? The old saying. Okay, a lot of people in power, what do they end up doing? Is it all about serving the people, or what is a major motivation that happens Personal, personal wealth, personal power. Okay, we don't know anymore, but in the, just looking and saying, okay, the, the way the work ethic is described in the rest of the chapter, Daniel preferred him, is preferred. He distinguished himself. Keep that as your, your basis. Then it goes on and talks about how Daniel distinguished himself, how he, he elevated himself, and it talks about his work ethic. His work ethic, which we'll see in a moment, is stellar. It is, it is phenomenal. Well, if he's preferring himself, distinguishing himself by his work ethic, what does that tell you about the other people's work ethic? Do you follow where I'm going with this? Okay. He distinguishes himself. It means that they are a different caliber, a lesser caliber. Okay, so if they're in it for the money... If they're in it for the power, they got a problem because their boss is trying to keep them 
in check to do what's right, which means that they aren't able to be as corrupt as what they might want to be. And so there's those problems that are going on. And remember, he worked for the Babylonians. He worked for the Babylonians for, for decades. He was Nebuchadnezzar's man for a number of years. And Nebuchadnezzar is the avowed enemy of the Medo-Persians. So why would we elevate somebody? That's like us taking one of the communist leaders in, in, in Russia and making them vice president. You and I would be suspect of that individual, correct? Because of their past history. And besides, he's a Jewish foreigner. Remember, he's 85 years old. There is a tendency, is there not? Let's get new blood. Let's get new blood. So you have all these things, okay? Daniel ends up, as you read the story, by the way, Darius Dryas, he really likes Daniel. Now, and I'm jumping you ahead. Most of you have read the story. How do we know he really likes Daniel? That there's a personal tie between the king and Daniel. If you remember the story, when they come and they say to the king, let's set up a new law, everybody only prays to you for 30 days. The king agrees to it. Then they lay wait, they watch Daniel, they know Daniel's going to pray to God. As soon as he prays to God, they come running back and they say to Darius, somebody broke the law, somebody prayed. What's Darius's response when he finds out it's Daniel? He's broken hearted. He tries, look down in the story, he tries to reverse the situation. He puts great effort into trying to cancel this penalty, to try to rescue Daniel. And he goes and it talks about how he does all day, but after the day, he can't change it because it's the law of the Medes and Persians. So he has to give in. He is saying to Daniel, good night at the lion's den. Look at the story. He says in the, in the original language, may the Lord your God keep you and preserve you. It's a... It's a uh, idea of a very strong wish or prayer that he says, may God preserve you. He goes to his apartment. Do you remember the story? Do you remember what does the king do in his apartment? What's it say about his sleep? Okay, he fasts and prays all night. And then as soon as it's morning, what does he do? He runs to the den where Daniel is and he says, Daniel, did your God keep you? All of that indicates this king has a personal vested interest in Daniel. He's very concerned about him. And so these individuals are jealous of that. They don't like that. And so as a result, they pass this law, and they want to get rid of Daniel. The breaking of the news is the lion's den. Okay, so the, as you look at the story, they come and they say to the king, okay, I want you to catch this as you just go through some of the, some of the details. It says in verse 5, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and they said to the king, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, except they ask of you, O king, they shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altered not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. What did they do in this text? How did they convince the king to pass this law? What's that? What do you mean by that, Jay? 
Yeah, how did they do that? What did they say? Oh, king. Oh, wonderful king. You deserve our prayers. Does flattery work with people? Uh, you do it. You do it right once in a great while. Okay? Even with family members. What else did they do? Not only did they use flattery that kind of blinded him, caught him blindsided. He wasn't real discerning at the moment. What else did they do? They do something else that teens always do with their parents to convince them of something. It, what? Yeah, see, your teens would never do it. But my teens, my kids, when they were teens, they did this. How do you see that in the text? Did you catch that? It says, all the presidents of the kingdoms, governors, princes, and counselors, and captains have consulted. Who have they thrown in? From the king's perspective, from king's knowledge, who have they included? Daniel. Because Daniel's one of these guys. They've included him. They've not let him remain the exception. And so from the king's perspective, the king is thinking, well, everyone wants this. So how can I deny all of my fans? And he hasn't thought through, hasn't checked, okay? And so he's caught off guard. So they get this thing passed, and, you know, they're, they're doing what frequently happens, flattery, numbers game. And so they get the bill passed. And um, what you have here is you have several different stories, okay? We're gonna, we're, the, this isn't the main story, but this is a thought through here. Daniel's reputation, before going any further, there's a really, really, really something phenomenal about Daniel's reputation. That Daniel, because, because he's exalted... He's attacked. Um, they have to make a law. Everything that happens in that first part of the story has to do with Daniel's reputation. All the movement of the story is based on Daniel's testimony, Daniel's history, Daniel's story before other people. And so it says in the text that we didn't read, but we back up into verse 4. The presidents, the princes, sought to find an occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Because of jealousy, because of anger, because he's old, because he worked for the former government, all those things. Whatever, whatever their motivation, they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. That's a really important verse in the story that sets the stage for everything that happens. Daniel has a wonderful reputation. Now what happens in this story is his reputation is so stellar that they have to make bogus laws that they know he's going to break. And they know by his reputation he's going to break those laws. It's amazing. It's amazing. If somebody wanted to destroy your reputation, is your, is your reputation so stellar that they couldn't find anything wrong with you and they had to create something that they knew you would violate because, they, because you are so... You know, so they go to work and they say, you, you're going to lose your job unless you lie. But they know, they know you will never lie, so this is the way they get rid of you. That's the type of reputation that Daniel had. And his reputation works in this story that's, that's really, really, really you know, outstanding. There's two areas of his life that stand out as far as reputation. The one is the way that he works. As far as the contact he has the, with the employer, with his co-workers, with everybody around him, the way he does business. Daniel's testimony in the community that, he, that knows him is absolutely a skyrocketing testimony. And so just to pause and talk about that, think this through. That his work, his testimony, even though he's surrounded 
by ungodly people, he has a stellar testimony. He has an ethical testimony, a morally high testimony and reputation. Even though he's not at home, he's far away. Even though he's working for a foreign government, which is anti-Jewish, he has this outstanding reputation. Even though he's a high-ranking official who could just kind of sit on his laurels, he's in his retirement years, and he could just kind of pause and just kind of let the life go by, he maintains this same type of integrity. He doesn't say, I've put my dues in, I've done enough, now I can do whatever I want. He's not like that. Daniel's testimony as a worker is phenomenal. It says in the passage that he has an excellent spirit. Now, just to explore this a little bit, it, it unveils itself a little bit more when we get into some of the, the original language. You can get it mostly if you take different translations and compare them in the English, but just for the sake of our discussion this morning, the excellent spirit... Yeah, it probably isn't the Holy Spirit, though he has the Spirit of God upon him. But the idea of his, uh, is rather his inner spirit, his personal uh, attitude, his conduct, the way he conducted himself in that context is where most scholars conclude that he has this pleasant spirit, this excellent spirit, this type that is drawing. It's a magnetic personality that draws people to itself. In particular, what happens is that idea that he is one that with his co-workers. He doesn't have angst towards them. He's not proud. He's not arrogant. He's not a complainer. He's not a backbiter. He's got the team spirit. He's got a teachable spirit. That would be an excellent spirit in our culture, in our world, something like the New Testament says we're supposed to have. That when it comes to the people in our neighborhood, the people, our neighbors, when it comes to the idea of who we work with, who works with us, that they would look and they would say, you know, even family members, that you have a pleasant attitude. This is what we talk about in Ephesians chapter 6, where it commands us with our work, servants be obedient to them that are masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart, as unto Christ, not, as, not with eye service, that is only when the boss comes in, doing the will of God from a heart with good will doing service. That is a good attitude. That is a pleasant attitude. That is a hard-working attitude is what he's talking about in this context. And so we go back and we say, okay, in Titus, he say, says that same thing. That here's what we're supposed to be doing when it comes to those that we're working with. Exhort the servants to be obedient to the masters and please them well in all things, not answering. Okay, the idea is not argumentative. Not, not complaining, not, you know, not correcting, not arguing, and not just, oh man, here, I have to do it. Total, total idea of an excellent attitude that Daniel had. Okay? And so then you and I have to stop and say, okay, what, what do we do? How do we display this? What do, what do we do in relationships with people? Do we have that excellent spirit? Now, in the original, it says, no occasion, that is no complaint. That's what it means, no occasion. No complaint, no attack nor fault could they get against Daniel. Let's, let's dissect the words. The word fault in the King James it comes from a word that means no corruption, no decay. Now again, I'll take you back. He exalted himself. He elevated himself above his co-workers. So by doing, by, by attitude and by his no corruption, no decay, which implies his co-workers had corruption in their working. Daniel didn't have that. He had pure integrity. That is that idea that, that his reputation for all these years, consistently, 
when he was with the Babylonians and now he's with the Medo-Persians, that he conducted himself without corruption or decay. Totally different than what the others are like. The others are all about exalting themselves, elevating themselves. You know, cut through it, you know, get rid of, get rid of the other guy. You're going to be knocked off the tower so I can get on the tower and I don't care how I knock you off. And that's that same idea of integrity that we read in Titus chapter 2 telling us that we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be argumentative, we're not supposed to be purloining, one of those old English words has the idea of not pilfering. Pilfering is the idea of you take something that doesn't belong to you, you take it from work. The pens, the pencils, the staplers, the tools, you know, the paper itself, the stuff that doesn't belong to you. That's the pilfering. Don't steal. You don't take the money. You don't take accounts. You don't take the clothing. You don't take the things you're selling. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. So in the New Testament, this is brought up about you and I, the way we work. We're supposed to work with the idea of no fault, no attack, no criticism. Uh, true story. This happened a few years ago. I shared with you in a sermon you know, several years ago that the KFC manager is putting together all the, the uh, cash from the evening, you know, from the day that's been put between the drawer, cash drawer, and the safe, and he's going to make sure that he has the deposit taken care of so he can do it you know, and get it dropped into the bank at the drop box for the day's earnings. And so he put it in a bag, and he usually did this so he wasn't conspicuous. He put it in one of the bags that was used for serving food. When he turned his back, one of the employees was doing the window where people drove up and grabbed what she thought was the food bag and grabbed the day's earnings, gave it out the window, and said, thank you, and the customer drove off. It was only a few minutes later that the manager is coming back, and he goes, what happened to that bag? And they figured it out that she had given all the cash to some customer. And they were like, oh, this is terrible. We've lost the day's earnings. What are we going to do? A few minutes later, a guy comes walking in the door and he's holding a bag. He asks to see the manager and he says, I think I was given this bag by mistake. And sure enough, all the money was there. This guy was of honest integrity that he brought it back and nobody would have known so the manager was so excited, the manager said, I'd like to get a picture of you. I'd like to take your picture. I'd like to share it. This is a human interest story. And the man said, no, 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 please don't. No, no, no. And it wasn't just out of humility. The woman he was with that evening was not his wife. Okay? So, oh yeah, he's got integrity when it comes to cash, but he had no integrity when it came to, you know, an adulterous situation. So Daniel, here's Daniel, a totally different person. Daniel is the type that he has integrity in every... You know how we, we use these terms, that people compartmentalize? Okay, here's my work, my family, my job, my entertainment, and I can kind of do whatever I want. These things don't overlap. And the reality is, before God, we can't compartmentalize. We can't say, okay, I'm really good at church, so I can be really unethical at work. Can't do that. Can't do that. There's got to be a consistency, and Daniel was that. Now, the fault is, the fault, uh, the word fault has the idea of no corruption, no decay. There's another word used if, in our King James. It says no error. Okay, the word error is a little bit different. The word error has the idea of no neglect. Okay, it has no neglect, not being slothful. Okay, so he's not only not corrupt, he's not lazy. He's not 
unreliable. He's not failing in doing his responsibilities. Rather, as a worker, very reliable. What strikes me is that even though he's on top, even though he's in charge, he wasn't a lazy man. Even though he's working with a group that are rather unstable and unreliable, he was reliable. Even though he's in his retirement years, he's still Mr. Dependable. Just outstanding character. Outstanding worker. Outstanding reputation. So you and I have to ask ourselves, wait a minute, if somebody asked us the way that we work, the way we do business, what about our attitude? When somebody would examine how we interact with other individuals at work, in our neighborhood, would they find that we're reliable? When somebody examines our lives, that somebody being Jesus Christ, will they find integrity? Is that there? Well, that's Daniel. That's the type of reputation that he had, which is exactly what the New Testament encourages. It says, Servants, obey your, in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, just what we read in Ephesians, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Whatsoever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive a reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Your job is service to God. Yes? Okay, we think in our society, service to God only happens on what day of the week. That's not true. By the way, this is an ethic you need to teach your kids. Would would I be amiss to say that we're losing a work ethic in America? Right? That people are unreliable? Is that a stretch? Okay? You and I as believers need to teach this truth to our children that their Christianity is how many days of the week? Seven days a week you serve the Lord. Seven, you know, that idea of 24-7. We're serving the Lord whether we be here or we be at home. We're serving the Lord. And we're supposed to be doing what is right. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong he has done, and there is no respect. God doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, Um, uh, I'll let the Americans go because they're kind of nice people. No, there's, there's judgment There's going to be a penalty, I should say. There's going to be discipline for the lack of serving the Lord the way we work. And so it's very important that we maintain that good reputation as a worker. Can we expand it a little bit? What other reputation? This whole story's premise is he has a great reputation as a worker. But there's another premise here. He has a reputation as what other aspect? It's not just the way when he works. What's that? Yeah, let's use, just for sake of alliteration, a worshiper. He has a reputation as a worshiper, okay? Because it's going to deal with his prayer life. It's going to deal with what he does with the Lord God Almighty, okay? His enemies can't find any fault with his work. So they have to create a bogus bogus situation that they can attack him. And they look and they say, okay, where is he the most dependable? Well, he's very dependable at work. But that which stands out more than anything else about Daniel is the way that he worships. So they, they, they create this whole scenario knowing that he is a consistent worshiper. Now remember, these guys are pagan. These guys are, these guys are idol worshipers. These guys are me first mentality. Daniel is just, no wonder it says he elevated himself above everybody else. 
It's amazing that what happens is they, they have to find something fault. And so the way they're going to do it is let's create a goofy law that he will have to violate because he is so consistent in his worship that if we make this law that he has to worship an, uh, a person, we know he'll, he'll never violate it. We know that he is so consistent and dedicated, he'll never, he'll never Never worship somebody, even if it's his boss. That's an amazing reputation he has. That they are so confident that they can kill him over this. And by the way, not only are they convinced of this, which is outstanding. You know what is even more amazing? They're right. Daniel will not violate worship, even when it costs him his... His life. Amazing. I just, yeah. Uh, and by the way, the story is all about how God rescued Daniel. Okay? We read this story. We tell this story. We say it to our kids. You better make sure you understand the premise of it. The reason that God blessed Daniel was because Daniel was... He's faithful. He's faithful. That's the lesson of the story. The story is all around faithfulness. How God honors faithfulness. Remember the Jews? Remember the people hearing all this? They're living surrounded by what type of people? What type of pagan land? They're being discouraged. They're being told, adopt our gods, adopt our ways. And they hear the story about Daniel maintaining his integrity and his worship. And what does God do? God honors that. God honors that. That's got to be elevating their spirits. That's got to be challenging them to remain faithful to God. Isn't that the point for us today? To say, remain faithful and God will bless faithfulness? And so the story is all around how Daniel, in his devotion, he's attacked in this whole area. And you know the story, that they pass the law, they're supposed to pray. And we already read, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, let's jump down there to the point, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what does he do? He goes to his house. He goes to his house. That's it. He just, he, he skewers himself away. That's it. That's the end of the story. No, 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 no. What's the, what's the point in the next verse? He, he, yeah, he, he, it, it, it's, it's the whole point of the text is he went into his house, his windows being opened in the chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees. What does your Bible read? Okay, three times a day. What else? He prays. What else? Give thanks before his God. What else? What's your last phrase? As he did on every other occasion. As he did on all the occasions. Okay, now watch a little bit more. Then these men assembled. They found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, etc., etc. Okay, what do we know about Daniel? Okay, in this sense, Daniel was a prayer. Despite his prosperity. Is this a truism? That people in crises pray? But when things go good? Okay, is that a challenge for you and me? Sure it is. Sure it is. Okay. It's easy to pray when things aren't going right. Okay. But he did it in prosperity. He did it despite the pressures. The pressures at this moment are real simple. This is, this is different than you and me. Daniel, if you pray, you're going to... You're going to die. You're going to die. I mean, that, that's the point of the story. Daniel, if you pray, you're going to die. And so he goes and he prays. 
By the way, what we're talking about is, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of it. Uh, what I mean by the pressures at this point is, do you think Daniel was a busy man? Okay, he's got 120 people, okay, that he's keeping track of. What do you know so far about these 120 people? They're dishonest people. They, he, Daniel's supposed to keep an eye on them. From what you know about that, does that require a lot of keeping an eye on them? Yes? Okay. But Daniel has time. Daniel has time in his busy schedule to pray periodically through the day at different times, to take a time out and pray. We are so busy, we find it tough to even take once a day. And for some, once a week is a stretch. Maybe that's why Daniel is so faithful, is because of his prayer life. There, the idea is that despite other people, remember, he's surrounded. He's surrounded by a whole group of people that are not encouraging him in the faith. His circle is not what you and I enjoy. And then we have the problems of it's illegal to pray. And he still he prays. There's something that strikes me about this prayer, okay? That Daniel prays. And I, and I thought this through. If, um, if this happened today, that we were told it's illegal to pray, here's, here's my, here might be some of the comments we might think or others around us might say. Do I really have to take time to pray? Should I pray and break the law? Maybe I could do more good if I don't pray and I'll keep my job. Or, you know, I could change my prayer pattern so I don't get into trouble. Or, it's not so bad, I'll just stop for 30 days. Or, I can do it secretly. I'll really, really, really hide it because God only, we're supposed to be in our prayer closet. And, and again, remember, Daniel wasn't doing this for public show and presentation. This was his prayer habit. Okay, this idea of opening up his windows and praying three times wasn't so everybody in the world could see. It was his prayer habit. He wasn't changing his prayer habit and, and saying, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that it's, it's so secret nobody and people, people won't know that I kept my habit. To him, it was very important just go through, this is what I've dedicated to the Lord. Here's what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to stop my dedication. And so he prays that way with the devotion. As his prayer, okay, He's not ashamed of letting his faith be known by praying. Have you ever, have you ever gotten into a restaurant and you're, people are really busy? Should we pray or shouldn't we pray? Have you ever sat at a lunch table at work? Should I pray? Shouldn't I pray? At school? Daniel's not ashamed to let his faith be known. And again, it wasn't for, okay, and I'm not saying, okay, at the restaurant, stand up and pray so everybody in the restaurant can hear you. You know, that's being more like the, the hypocrites who pray in public, yeah. Okay, his prayer life meant more than his physical life. His testimony was more important than his existence. Woo, think that through. Think through. He was so concerned about Honoring the Lord, maintaining a good testimony, doing right towards God was more important than anything else. Tremendous, tremendous aspects of Daniel's life. So Daniel, when he gets to prayer, what do you know about his prayer? When you look at this, when you look at verse, verse 10, how would you describe his act of praying? What stands out to you? Humility. 
Okay, how do you see that? He's on his knees. Okay, it's a display of humility. Anything else? Okay, okay. In that time, in that period, okay, today, do people face certain directions when they pray? Okay, and they do that because, okay, Daniel at that time, uh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that, that he was required because there's no mention of facing, facing towards, you know, that direction. Actually, it's the opposite direction. But he's, he's facing towards Jerusalem because he understands Jerusalem is the centerpiece of this earth where God is going to be pouring out his blessings. So he's God-focused would be the thought. What else do you see about his prayer? Anything else stands out? Three times a day, he was habitually praying. Anything else? He gave thanks. I'm going to come back to that one. Okay, he gave thanks. Okay. Yeah, um, Joyce is, is postulating the idea he could be praying out loud that they could, they could have heard. Okay. Um, could they have seen him? If we were down here looking in the balcony, could they have seen him and moving his lips? Okay, so that, that probably works together both ways. Anything else about his prayer? There is something here that strikes me because it convicts me. He prayed. He actually prayed when he prayed. Do you know what I mean by that? Let, let, me, let me pick on me. Okay, because none of you would ever do this. So Wednesday nights we have prayer times. We're going to set aside for prayer times. What can easily happen... Instead of praying. I could fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. I do that all the time, even in the pulpit. Uh, you know that. Um, can we get together with somebody? And while we're sitting here and saying we're going to pray together for 15 minutes, what can easily happen? The two of us can start just talking. Right? And we talk for 14 minutes and say, oh, we need to get to prayer. Now, none of you would ever do that. But does it ever happen? That, that all of a sudden, you know, you know here's, here's Daniel. He's praying by himself. It's not just public settings. Okay? He's, he's, he's doing it with reverence, as was mentioned. As before, okay, not just in a crisis, but this is a crisis, but he did it. He's praying repeatedly with sincerity. The word is, the phrase is here that it mentions that he prayed in literally, literally in the Hebrew, it has the idea he prayed with prayers which gives this idea of earnest beseeching. Okay, that's the word that we translate just simply prayer. Okay, um, that he was really engaged in it. He's praying with specific... I can't say the word. Um, yeah, you got it. Thank you. Okay, it's one of those words I just can't say. Um, so here he is, he's praying. Now, not only is he praying, but in a faithful sense, but he praises. Did you see that phrase? Nancy brought it up. He gave thanks. What strikes you odd about giving thanks? Are we supposed to give thanks? What strikes you odd at this moment? He's going to die for praying. Okay? He's got enemies. They have made it very, very clear they don't like Daniel. He's not a popular dude. Okay? Now, that, does that ever bother us when people don't like us? Do we ever get wound up in self-pity? Or if things turn against us, do we ever go and instead of praying with thanksgiving, we pray with lamentations? 
And only that. Daniel is giving thanks even in the moment that this going. It's an amazing thought. That this guy is, is praising God at this moment. Okay, as he did of before times. He gave thanks as he did before times. Remember, he's busy. Though he's, he prays. Okay, but his praises, his praises is the idea he did it before times. He's a captive. He's out of his homeland. He's out of his element. He's been put out to pasture. Life has changed. And he's got the problems of life. But he's still giving thanks. As he did before times. As he, when he prayed. And so, here's a just, it's an amazing idea. That this guy is all involved with this praising, this prayer. He has this grand reputation in the midst of all these problems. And even though he is serving the Lord, he is not immune from adversity and attack. It comes his way. Okay? He's not liked. His life is threatened. It's not easy. But by his example, we're going to learn this thought. Okay? And we'll have to stop right here. Your testimony can be immortal. It can go on. Daniel's testimony was all over this place. It lasted through his lifetime. And it really impacted the people in his lifetime. But let's step further. Did his testimony go beyond the people that knew him and in the country he lived? We're still talking about him. We're talking about him hundreds and hundreds of years later that he had such a grand testimony. It can be extremely influential. Remember, his testimony is for the Jews that are watching him all those people to, to whom he is providing some form of example and leadership. His testimony before Darius, before the 120 who are trying to attack him. They're going to learn about this one. Okay? And so God blesses him in just a phenomenal way in that regards. And so you and I need to stop and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Testimony is important. This week, testimony is important at work. Testimony is important as how, how I worship personally and privately. And we not become afraid. There's a true story about this gentleman, Bajarn. Yeah, you can read it. Okay. One of the Norsemen. He's sailing towards Greenland. He gets blown off course. He gets blown off course and it's, he's in the seas for several weeks. He finally sees land. Way off course, he sees land. But he is so afraid because they don't recognize the territory that he turns around and he sails back the dri different direction. And he finally gets home. And when he gets home, he starts telling the tale that across the seas, there's a land out there. There's a land that looked really green, really, but, but we were afraid we didn't stop because we didn't recognize it, so we didn't do any exploring. And so years go by of him telling this story, telling the story, and a young man in his village hears the story, hears the story, and has been wondering all this time, why didn't he explore it? Why didn't he find out? It could be new lands for us. The young man now is an adult, and he's got this, this idea that we should explore that land across the sea. So he buys Bajarni's boat, gets his own crew, and he sails and he discovers a very important piece of land. The guys who led that expedition, the young boy who heard the story and grew up, I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. Leif Erikson? You ever hear of him? Okay. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid like this gentleman was. And he, he sailed into that unknown and he discovered a new continent and gets credit for that. You and I ought never to be afraid of taking some steps 
when we know what is right to do. Worship, work, man, let God use you. Let God use you this week in just a tremendous way by being serious about your work, your worship, and the reputation that you establish. Let's get ready for our worship service, our praise service this morning on our 40th anniversary. Thanks for listening. Wake up the person next to you.